0: Thursday evening to you. Welcome into Cover 4 Live. Just three of us for right now. Our buddy Mike Griffith will be on hand. In just a moment for now, i got Connor Riley and Jeff Sintel here as we look ahead in the game against Vanderbilt and then what's still to come after that this season for the Dogs. Obviously plenty on the way there and we'll try to cover it all. I'll also let you know, I'm going to get close to the screen here for a second. I'm wearing my United States Ryder Cup hat in honor of the event this weekend. Kohler, Wisconsin, USA, USA. Let me just add that as the United States tries to bring back home the Cup here from those lousy Europeans. But uh, before we uh, <laughs> worry about anything... <laughs> they lousy Europeans. <laughs> when it comes to the world of golf, let's talk some Georgia football here first and foremost. There is a lot, I think, to be learned by Georgia against Vanderbilt on Saturday. And at first blush, it might not seem that way, just given the fact that Georgia's 35-point favorite, uh, as big a favorite as I think you can see Georgia be when it comes to, um, you know, on, on the road in SEC play, hard to be a much bigger favorite than this. I still think there's some things that can be learned. Connor, what do you expect to see or where do you think Georgia fans should want to see when it comes to this game on
1: Saturday? A lot of points on the Georgia side, not a whole lot from Vanderbilt there. I, I look to see the Georgia passing offense have the same level, I think, of explosiveness. We saw a week ago against South Carolina. That's something that in recent seasons, you know, that hasn't always been there, but it, it showed up against UAB. It showed up against South Carolina a week ago. And if JT Daniels is hitting those downfield passes to Adonai Mitchell, Jermaine Burton, whoever they might be there, I think that's an encouraging sign of where this passing offense can continue to grow to as they potentially get healthier, potentially get Darnell Washington, Dominic Blaylock in the coming weeks, and maybe even somehow potentially George Pickens now. So if that offense can keep making strides, I think they've got a good chance to, to really peak at the end of the season there.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, Mike, I see that you've joined us here. I think for me, this is about if you want to feel good about Georgia going into certainly an upper weight class in the month of October with what's happening with Arkansas and Kentucky and what you might think of Florida and Auburn based on what happened to both those teams last week. Jeff, I'll actually let you take this one. I think that if you're thinking about that for those upcoming weeks, you know, handling Vanderbilt easily whether you win 50 to nothing or 40 to nothing or 35 nothing or whatever else. Just handling the game easy. Back in the early days when the college football playoff first started, one thing the committee used to spout, they had no idea what this phrase meant. They used to just say it all the time, was game control. You know, having plenty of game control uh, against, um, you know, against Vanderbilt on Saturday, to me, would be a pretty good sign that Georgia's ready for what's about to happen, the step up that's about to occur, starting with Arkansas next week.
2: Yeah, I think you know, you see in the comment section that folks want 75 to nothing, folks want style points. I think just folks just want to see Georgia continue to be dominant and somehow taking the temperature of the fan base this week, it seems like um, I don't know what you fellas think, but it seems to me like Vanderbilt has earned its second most hated rival temporary badge for uh for this uh this 2020 season at least during at least in the SEC East. There's a lot of more vitriol and there's a lot more venom being being strewn and spewed in Vanderbilt's way uh, more than any other year I can recall. And it has a lot to do with last year. Um, and I think one thing that's interesting about this game, and you, you talk about people watching and outsider opinion, you know, this is a year where Georgia's kind of measuring up to that 50 um, foot juggernaut expectation. And now it seems like the Vanderbilt juggernaut expectation is like 60 points, 50 points, not just the, very healthy, thirty-five point favorite on the road in the SEC.
0: Yeah, uh, Mike, I think Jeff brings up a you know a pretty good point there that just in talking to Georgia fans a lot of the last couple of weeks, I mean it is amazing how common it has come up The Georgia fans don't like Vanderbilt very much for what happened last year. And you know Kirby Smart kind of downplays it, and you know maybe he means that, maybe does, and I'm honestly not quite sure what to make of all of that. But it is. Fairly common to hear fans themselves be pretty frustrated with the way that Vanderbilt behaved a year ago, especially when you think about the fact that some institutional failings actually led to Vanderbilt maybe not being able to play in that game. I think some fan frustration on that's really pretty justified. And, you know, the honest truth is I'm skeptical that that makes makes George want to go out there and hang 65 points or something like that on Vanderbilt on Saturday. But certainly fans want them to. And it's pretty clear there's a a specific reason why. I think it's been – very interesting to hear how consistent that message has been from a lot of fans.
3: Yeah, you know, there were a couple things going on with Vanderbilt last year. I mean, the whole Sarah Fuller thing was going on, too, and there was some speculation that, that some of the Vanderbilt players weren't real pleased about the female kicker and and some of the things that was hap- happening around the program, that that had something to do with the attrition. There was some uh, wide speculation on that. In addition to the COVID stuff you mentioned, Brandon, and I think, um, <clears throat> I think what made it interesting – was that Vanderbilt canceled one week and then they were able to get enough players to play Tennessee at home the next week. And then they canceled again. And And I think the icing on the cake was probably when Greg McGarity, the former AD, expressed some frustration about this. And when they canceled the first time, uh, Greg McGarrity was one to say that, that he was uh, skeptical if the game would happen. And, and then I think there was more frustration because we were at a point in the season where we wanted to see more of Georgia. JT oh, yeah. Daniels had emerged. Georgia was playing their best football. It was a time when you couldn't get enough of the Bulldogs to the, to the extent that, you know, there was some hope that maybe Georgia could scramble and find another opponent, just another game. It, it was such a tough year, and football was just such a welcome uh, thing for all of us, as it is right now. So I think there were a lot of dynamics involved, but, you know, to the point that, that you make, and uh, I missed the first uh, two or three minutes, so I, I didn't no hear what the other guy said. But no I, I think it's more important for Georgia now, uh, you know, to, to focus on trying to be a, a championship team. And rather than maybe leaving those guys in there an extra quarter to get 60 or 70, you get guys like Lassiter reps, right? You get guys like Stackhouse or you get Broderick Jones. And, and so maybe the score isn't in the 60s or the 70s, but you're building – a championship football team by getting some of these younger players playing time yeah to
0: Mike's point I believe it's just objectively true at the end of last season Vanderbilt wanted to play Tennessee and it didn't want to play Georgia and everything else was just window dressing on top of that And I'll never be convinced of anything different but to a certain extent that's water under the bridge now Connor let me ask you a different question because the honest truth is I haven't cared enough to watch Vanderbilt yet this year is Vanderbilt good in any area good enough to give Georgia a test for where those of us who are fans of this team want to see improvement. Can we see an offensive line be forced to get better against a defensive front for Vanderbilt that tries to do anything? I know Vanderbilt's without its leading rusher on Saturday, a bad team gets worse because of that. But is there any chance that there's a, you know, a deep, Passing threat opportunity here that could leave it leave us to a, lead us to a chance to find out more about the Georgia secondary. Is there anything that you know of that Vanderbilt could do well enough to give Georgia any kind of live game rep practice at all?
1: No. There you go. Not at all. The, uh, again, they got they got. There, there's no need. Look, I, I get you know you don't want to look ahead or look past. There's no need to discuss this Vanderbilt team. They're not good at anything. They got pushed around by a Stanford team that, quite frankly, isn't as physical as they used to be a season ago, and a team that scored seven points in their first game against Kansas State. This Vanderbilt team is just not worth anyone's time to discuss them or the merits of this game. I think the things you want to look for, travel roster because it is a road game. You are only allowed to bring 70 players there so that – does give you a good indication of where players are on the Jeff T- depth chart. I'm interested to see if, say, a Brock Vandergriff makes this trip this weekend and what that potentially means for his development and if he were to get in the game, because you would certainly think that is going to score enough points to get into this game. George did I, 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 quarterbacks a
0: lot last year, we should point out. It's a different season. No, I'm just saying, but but they have taken yeah. they have taken loads of quarterbacks before, except that they didn't take back to Alabama. But other than that, they took a bunch of quarterbacks on the road last year. And, look, obviously I agree with what Connor's saying about Vanderbilt. I don't think they're very good at all. They lost 20 points to East Tennessee State. However, you know, to see Georgia come out and play with the crispness and the focus for the full 60 minutes, that's something, Jeff, that I think that Kirby Smart thought he didn't get quite from his team a week ago. So I think there is still a way to judge Georgia, even if you don't think much about the opponent. And clearly nobody on this panel thinks very much about Vanderbilt. Jeff, you're muted.
2: I think Connor covered it very well. I was waiting him for for him to say, Dejon Edwards, 27 carries for 312 yards. I think that would have been a great way to describe maybe what's the most compelling theater to come out of this football game on
0: Saturday.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that's certainly very interesting. Mike, what else are you looking for on Saturday?
3: Well, you know, like I said, I really want to see this offensive line gel. I'm hoping that we'll see a couple of different combinations. You know, Kirby Smart said yesterday he felt that the run game was quote-unquote hot and cold, it'd be great to see a Georgia running back break out. You know, if, if there's a complaint or an issue with the Georgia offense, it's, it's that outside of JT Daniels and, and Brock Bowers, I, I don't really know the identity of what this team is. And I understand that from week to week, a lot of it is predicated on taking what the defense gives you. But when I think of a go-to guy or a go-to play, I think this team is still evolving And I kind of look at this as the last warm-up game. I mean, Clemson was its own event. It was an exhibition. It was fantastic. Uh, It was great theater. It was a big win for Georgia in a rivalry game, bragging rights, and, and all the good stuff. But the last couple games, UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, these are all kind of like scrimmages, right, Jeff? You go to these high school jamborees. I mean, none of these teams were really a threat to beat Georgia, and it was an opportunity for Kirby Smart to do different things with different players. And this is kind of the last dress rehearsal. So I kind of want to see what Kirby uh, runs out there. Again, I mentioned Kamari Lasseter, the cornerback. I kind of want to see Broderick Jones more at left tackle. That's something Connor and I have been writing a lot about. And then Kirby came out last week and and said Jamari Salyer is actually playing well there. I kind of want to see somebody else inside at guard. I've got questions about Warren Erickson and Justin Schaefer and their ability to dominate in the run game. Are there other options? So, you know, my eyes will be peeled to some of those other positions and maybe some receivers, right? Maybe we see more from Jermaine Burton as he plays himself into shape or, or Lad McConkey. maybe John Fitzpatrick gets involved in the passing game. I just kind of want to see the team continue to evolve. Mike, but to that point though, I think I would say that Georgia
0: began the season as a work in progress, needing to evolve offensively. And I would say, obviously, given the competition the last two weeks, for the most part, Georgia has done that. And so speaking here for a moment as a fan, let's say that Saturday in some form or fashion is simply a, you know replicating what Georgia's done the last couple of weeks in these tune-up games, as you said. And we're going to get to the October si- situation in a moment. But knowing you played as a big favorite for these three weeks, the one on Saturday and the two previous, if Georgia does again offensively what it's done for the last two, especially given the fact they were better in the running game last week than they had been the week before, you know, to me, I think that's Georgia making pretty good use of these tune-ups. Not good offensively against Clemson. That's a good defensive team really good offensively the last couple of weeks against what we probably think of as at least in comparison to Georgia bad football teams an even worse football team all beat on the road on Saturday against Vanderbilt. If Georgia goes out and takes a similar step against the Commodores in my mind, that's about as well as you can use these three consecutive tune-up style games that Georgia has had. Do you agree with
3: that? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I want to see more of it, right? I, I want to see, like I said, I want to see a team that's, that's starting to get into sync. I mean, I think having JT back for consecutive games for the first time this season, maybe we'll see a little bit more of an identity now that, that JT Daniels is back under center. I think for for at least a few more, you know, I, I think hopefully for the rest of the duration of the season, if he stays healthy. When you, I don't mean to come back to you again at the expense of letting Jeff and Connor talk,
0: but when you say identity, what specifically do you mean? Because I think that's an interesting word to use, and I'm just curious how you're using it.
3: Yeah, an identity, Brandon. It's kind of like a team's personality. It's oh, I know. I
0: mean, generally speaking, yeah.
3: of what it is, but specifically in the case of Georgia,
0: like what? What I guess may ask it this way: What would you like to see that identity become? Is I guess what I'm asking.
3: Well, I mean, you know, you want to see certain players emerge, and you kind of want to know who your go-to guys are in different situations. So far, it's been a lot of Brock Bowers, right? I'd like to see more from Jermaine Burton. I'd like to see him have more of a consistent presence because of his talent and because of his upside last week at Donnie Mitchell finally really got off. Now, is he going to hold that job over Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint? He's a quick twitch explosive player, you know, maybe get those guys on the perimeter more involved in the passing game than they've been. And I think that would provide a little bit more balance For the offense as a whole. So when I talk about identity, what I'm talking about is the personality of a team, every offense, like when Florida and Alabama played Brandon, we knew who and what they were, we knew how the Gators were going to move the ball, we knew how Alabama was going to move the ball with Georgia, because there's so much youth, and because there's been some injuries, it's been kind of inconsistent. We talked about the hot and the cold run game. We've talked about some sporadic play at receiver. So maybe more consistency at receiver and maybe some more emergence from one of the running backs.
0: Yeah. So Connor, I want to bring you back on this because I actually think that Georgia over the course of the last couple of weeks, now it's fair to wonder, can that be duplicated against better teams over the course of the last couple of weeks? I think there's a Georgia identity that has emerged and then Kirby Smart has talked about it. This team throws the ball right now better than it runs it and to me, to use Mike's point about Alabama, I think one of the things that caused Alabama to struggle last week at Florida was, you know, I'm not quite so sure they figured out their identity, but right now, you know, the Georgia competency offensively is more on the side of Daniels throwing the ball to a crop of young receivers, but guys who seem to be getting better. You know, for me right now, that is the identity of this Georgia team. If my guess is that'll continue to be true for the uh, course of the, of the rest of this regular season as well.
1: Yeah, glad we're out from a cover two back to a cover four here. But I think Jermaine Burton has played well these last few weeks. It looks like he's getting healthier. I think receiving yards rise, he's been right there with Brock Bowers in terms of what you're seeing. And I do think he and JT have a very good connection. And, you know, you might not see it this Vanderbilt game just because I, I think they have the athletes out there to be able to to score and have explosive plays on any play, I could see James Cook having a big touchdown. Arian Smith, if he gets in the game, could certainly play an impact there. Donnie Mitchell as well, and you think Kiaris Jackson getting him back as well. So there are a lot of ways to distribute the ball. But I've actually liked what I've seen from Jermaine Burton the last two yeah. weeks there. So, yeah. but to to your point, BA, I do think that this is a better passing offense that we we've seen so far, and something I touched on earlier in the show. I think you're going to continue to see that. I think you're going to continue to see those long passing strikes, those third and eight, third and nine down conversions. Not too many of them, hopefully, because that would mean Vanderbilt's actually able to do something against this Georgia offense. But uh, they're at a place right now where this passing offense, quite frankly, has looked better. And granted, it's against inferior competition, but it's looked better and it's looked crisper than it has ever have under the Kirby Smart era. And I, I think you're going to continue to see that against vanderbilt and i think you're going to continue to see that in what should be a tougher month of october jeff before
0: we change the subject jump back in here on this i mean what do you think about the offensive identity for georgia that has been established it's totally absent against clemson you can maybe say that was opponent dependent last couple of weeks i think it's actually starting to emerge here a little bit
2: yeah i would like to think i think the commenter was robbie pearson because that was in some vanderbilt apathy my uh My initial answers on Vanderbilt was kind of like, meh. Uh, You could probably have a gif to, to look at that. But I think Robbie Pearson had a good point. I think it was Robbie. But when he said Georgia needs to show it needs to be able to do what it wants whenever it wants. And I think that's the way Georgia needs to be this year. They need to develop a way that, okay, now we're going to be a run team. Now we're going to impose our will, kind of like what they did against Clemson at the end of that game. Uh, And then they're going to have that fireworks with JT Daniels and a lot of these emerging weapons. I got two things I want to see, and I'd love to just hear everybody's thoughts on it. One, I think this is a game where Kendall Milton better come out of it with his first career Georgia rushing touchdown. That's something that I think folks can kind of rally around. The second thing for me is I think – I think the number uh, that's more important for me is not, not how many points Georgia wins by because I think most, most folks would be probably uh, appreciative of a 45- of a to 55-point win. I think the zero is the more important number for me. I mean, maybe there's a fluke. Maybe there's seven. Maybe there's Georgia's third team getting cooked on an explosive or something like that. But I think really you want to see Georgia just look dominant, and I think the way Georgia looks dominant best is not – 70 to 12 or 70 to 14. I think it's something like 50 burger to nothing. I think Georgia should really shut this team out.
0: Uh Mike before we go to another topic, uh give me a couple seconds here. You good reporting this morning on the Jalen Kemper situation. It's not good news, but uh you know, you were there with the report, so it's important for us to hear it out for the rest of the season. Uh what you're saying is a shoulder surgery here. I, I guess just kind of follow up with us on, you know, kind of where all that stands.
3: Yeah, it was unfortunate. Jalen got hurt during the strength and conditioning portion of the offseason with the weight program. Uh, You know, he tried to rehab and come back. He played some limited snaps against UAB. And uh, the thought was that maybe he could be used in situations. He was going to be your starting corner opposite of of Darian Kendrick going into fall camp. He'd won that job uh, coming out of the spring. But, unfortunately, the injury – uh, and then the inability to rehab successfully, and so he underwent the shoulder surgery this morning. He's expected to be back, uh, able to hit, and cleared for spring in the mar- in March. But it's one less body. We know that George is thin in the secondary. You know, you lost three former starting cornerbacks and DJ Daniel, Eric Stokes, and Tyson Campbell. And then you also lost Richard LeCount and Mark Webb. So, I mean, that that's five guys that you lost. And then, oh, by the way, Major Burns is starting at LSU now, and Tyreek Stevenson is starting at Miami. So you've lost a lot of caliber players. I mean, we could go on. Uh, Old Miss starts a former Georgia player as well. I think Prather Hudson's even getting snaps in Illinois. When you lose that amount of players in such a short amount of time, even for a program like Georgia, very difficult to reload. So we're seeing that secondary grow up. Right now, they are susceptible. We saw South Carolina exploit them, and South Carolina is good but not great. So that is an area of concern that Kirby Smart will tell you they need to get better at. And Lewisine did tell us that uh, when Connor and I were doing the postgame. His comment was, we're not as good as you guys think we are. So that's an area Georgia knows that they need to grow, especially now you lose another player like a Jalen Kimber. Let's transition now to what happens for Georgia after Saturday. It's Cover 4 Live. That's
0: Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley on hand as well. My name is Brandon Adams. I'm happy to have you with us. Obviously, starting next Saturday, very different level of competition with uh, Georgia. will at least be a ranked opponent coming to Athens with Arkansas. It could be a much higher ranked opponent than that if they get a win against Texas A&M on Saturday. I've even heard there's a possibility that ESPN's College Game Day could be in Athens as a lead-in to a noon kick uh, on ESPN, if Arkansas were to beat Texas A&M on Saturday, that looms the possibility. But then after that, you start thinking about the Auburn game on the road, Kentucky, of course, the big showdown against Florida, which we talk about every single day, on Dog Nation <laughs> daily. It is quite a collection of games, and to a an certain extent, all of these games seem yes. tougher now than maybe they would have seemed like on September 4th when the season for Georgia began, because of what we've seen from each of these teams over the course of the season's first month. So, Connor, of these games, Which one do you think will end up being the the, the toughest for Georgia?
1: Florida. I was really impressed by what Florida did last week, even in a loss. I'm not, you know, celebrating them or or crowning them, but the fact that this team was able to run for 245 yards in Alabama, when this is a Florida team, the last two seasons, they just have not been able to run the football at all. While yes, they're not the passing offense. They were a season ago. I think their ability to run the ball, their ability to shorten the game, to keep that Alabama defense on the field. And you saw Over the course of that game, that Alabama defense wore down. I I think that's a wrinkle and a dynamic that makes this Georgia-Florida game a lot more interesting. We'll see what happens with Anthony Richardson as as he continues to get healthy there and could possibly replace Emory Jones at quarterback there. But the way Florida ran the ball on Alabama last week was very interesting. That's the most obvious answer there. The game that I'm actually most interested in but before those first three is actually Kentucky because I I, I think with with Arkansas being ranked and – you know, the, the Sam Pittman factor, Georgia's going to be up for this game. I don't think it's going to be a repeat of the last noon kickoff they had uh, against an SEC team, which was South Carolina in 2019. Going to Auburn, while B.A. loves to, to worry about that game and say it's a tough place to play, I, I don't trust this Auburn team just yet, and I'm not all that impressed with the performance they gave at Penn State last week, but that Kentucky game is going to be interesting, and while they were not good against Chattanooga a week ago, it's a physical team. It's a team Georgia has struggled to score on the last two times that they have played Kentucky there and I think that's a really interesting spot after two tough physical games against Arkansas and Auburn
0: yeah Jeff when I think back to the press conference for Dan Mullen after the 2019 loss to Georgia when he was pressed as the press conference suggests by you know the reporters in the room by for his decision not to run the ball against Florida essentially shrugged it off I should say run the ball against Georgia kind of shrugged it off and so he just didn't call any running plays like I mean it's hard to imagine an SEC coach of a premier team, essentially just shrugging off the idea of calling any running plays. Florida was made one dimensional that day and lost in, you know, good measure because of it. So when you rush for four touchdowns against Alabama, when you put up, you know, five point something yards per carry, or whatever it was you know, they put up last week, that is going to get your attention. Is that for you though, the toughest game? Or, I mean, obviously from a point spread standpoint, it's clearly going to be the toughest, but just in terms of what interests you about the month of October, is it the Florida game more than anything else? I mean, I think a lot can be said there about
2: that. I think I've, I've been pointing for maybe since spring practice that I've been hearing a lot about the Gators running backs and how their running game was going to blend and mesh with Emory Jones and Mr. Richardson. Um, maybe that's the toughest matchup and that's the one that will get the most hype. I think that's the one that will also draw the most consternation from uh, the players on the Georgia football roster. I think the one I'm most interested in is Arkansas because I think Arkansas has a more cohesive, veteran, well-rounded team. Uh, they got some, they got some very experienced players. They've been in a couple of big games and they're getting some confidence and they really love their coach. And I, I think there's just a lot of things going there with Arkansas where they're going to have seen some very good football teams, and Sam Pittman will know still know a lot about Georgia and the DNA of that program. Uh, I just think they have the ability to to do a little bit more in the throw game and, and the running game at the same time, or at least try to against Georgia. And I don't think Georgia will. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm big. This is one thing that's been recycled forever in college football. Like when I was a when I was a college kid at UGA, I think one of the staples you quickly adhere to is I think it's very hard for any college football team to. I'll use the term "breathe fire" for 14, 15 weeks. Of, a season, fourteen games a season. Now, I think in a lot of games you just got to be better, and you got to be more disciplined. You got to be more cohesive, and you got to be more talented than the other guys. There are about two or three, two or three games a year when your players will breathe fire and they'll run through brick walls. Florida's going to be one of those this year. I don't think Arkansas is, so that's why I find that one very interesting.
0: Let me play Devil's Advocate on one point, though. You know, Mike, I know you've talked up the Arkansas game a lot. Here's the thing about the Hogs, though. And listen, it's hard to like Sam Pittman more than I do, and I'm actually pretty well openly rooting for his success there at Arkansas. I, I'm enjoying what he's doing. Arkansas is clearly good enough to make Saturday's game against Texas A&M feel like it'd be a big game and they're good enough to make the following Saturday against Georgia feel like a big game too. But that's also consecutive weeks of playing very good defense a long way from home. I think there's a chance that after the course of the next two Saturdays, we kind of look back on Arkansas as, boy, it sure is a good thing they beat Texas because now they're getting the meat of their SEC schedule, and that's not nearly as easy to do. But Mike, I don't know if you saw this. Um, Kirk Herbstreit this week, who called the Auburn Penn State game on uh, TV on, on Saturday night, was on the Fine Bomb Show and was talking about how he really came away pretty impressed with first-year coach Brian Harson and Auburn. I, honestly, I didn't see that much of the game because I was at the Georgia South Carolina game. But it's interesting to hear Herbstreit kind of talk up Auburn and some of the things they're doing under Harson in their first year. It's hard to say as of yet, right? They scored sixty points in consecutive weeks. Akron's probably the worst team in the country, and. You know, whoever it was they did that again in week two is, you know, not great either. Then you lose on the roads. So I'm not quite sure what to make of them. But with Georgia having to go to that spot in a couple of weeks, it was interesting to hear Herbstree praise them this week.
3: Yeah, I, I've been bullish on Brian Harson. I like to hire from the start a, a guy that's out of the box. And, you know, I think the fact that Arkansas does have an emotional game with Texas a and Georgia has a nice warm up game with Vanderbilt. And, and now that JT Daniels seems to be asserting himself. I feel better about that Arkansas game. Uh, I'd agree with Connor as far as uh, Florida's ability to run the ball. You know, they're only the second program in the last 10 years to go from being in the top five in passing to the top five in rushing or vice versa. Baylor was the other one. So quite a, a personality flip for the Gators. But the fact that they can't throw the ball, they're only 10th in the SEC in passing. And let's be honest, it's not like South Florida and Florida Atlantic were the monsters of the midway. So their inability to throw the ball and exploit Georgia's weakness makes me feel better about that game, especially the fact that it is at a neutral site. This would be a home game year for Georgia, or excuse me, for Florida, if they were home and home. And the Swamp would give Florida an extra edge. But the fact that the game is in Jacksonville really plays into Georgia's favor this year. You know, Georgia should beat Florida, all things being equal, and then you take the potential home field advantage out because it's such a unique series that really works into Georgia's favor. I'm going to say Auburn is the game I'm most interested in because it's a mystery team, and it'll really be the first hostile environment that Georgia's played in. Now, I think JT Daniels will handle that fine, but there is a lot of communication that has to take to take place with those receivers on the outside and how are those receivers uh, able to you know pick things up when JT's making the hand signals from the line of scrimmage so you know very interesting game to me Auburn does look like they have teeth, so I'm going to choose that as the most interesting game I'm not going to say that Florida can't keep it close but I will say this Florida is not going to push Georgia's defense around like they pushed the Alabama Crimson Tide around last Saturday. Connor, what do you think about the fact that when you look ahead to October 9th, there are a lot of Georgia players
0: who have never played in a hostile stadium before. you got true freshmen right now. You've got guys from a year ago that were playing in mostly empty stadiums. Jordan-Hare Stadium, obviously, when it's rocking and rolling, can be pretty tough. I mean, it certainly was on Georgia in 2017. It got loud at the end of 2019. Georgia fans kind of remember that. Now, there's a chance Auburn loses again before they play that game. They could lose at LSU next week, and that would you know, clearly set up maybe not quite as – hostile in an environment Auburn fans may decide to sit on their hands or just sit on their couch and not, you know, go. But how much do you think the hostile crowd impacts a large number of Georgia players
3: that have not played in an environment like that before?
1: Mike, what were you doing in 1999? Who are you covering?
3: I was covering Tennessee that year.
1: Mm -hmm. I was five years old.
3: I was going to say the Decatur State.
1: That's the last time Auburn won at LSU, which is something that they're going to be attempting to do next week on the road. Well, I understand, you know, you, you make a great point about it. this. Maybe the first time they're going to play in a really loud atmosphere. I, I, that Clemson atmosphere was pretty charged up. And while the loudness may not have been there, the intensity was certainly there and felt. And so I do think that does help some of the younger guys there. I'll be honest here with Auburn. As long as Bo Nix is their quarterback, I'm not scared of them. I've we know what he is at this point in time. And you can even show me the home and road splits. Georgia went to Auburn two years ago and they did nothing offensively that day. They had three drives cross the 50 yard line and they finished all of those with touchdowns and they were dying for Auburn to take that game away and win it. And Bonix just couldn't do it. And we have, we saw last week Bonix again in a big spot on the road against the Penn state team who, you know, we still don't know how great they are again. Underwhelmed as a passer in that game, I I understand the points and why some might say Auburn as as the team that worries them there. But as long as Bo Nix is under center, I, Connor Riley, am not all that worried about them and how they play against this Georgia team.
0: Jeff, let me mention one thing here before we kind of wrap this you know conversation up. Like I'm not a objective member of this discussion. I have preferred outcomes. I want Georgia win games, and the Florida game is obviously the one that matters to me more than anything else. And I actually find it somewhat pleasant that the Georgia-Florida game starts to feel a little bigger as you get towards it. I like the fact that Florida fans think they're going to win. it. It's not just because it makes it feel more enjoyable if Georgia does get that win. I mean, I really spent a lot of the summer trying to caution my audience on, you know, don't listen to some of these people. Phil Steele, for instance, uh, various people on ESPN who kind of had Florida outside their top 25. That's not what we saw Florida doing on our show. You know, you looked at – you know, a top 15 team in the ESPN FPI preseason, a top 15 team for Bud Elliott with his blue chip ratio. Too many underlying fundamentals to suggest that Florida wasn't going to fall off the face of the earth simply because it had lost Trask and Pitts and Tony and those guys. So, you know, we're not surprised necessarily, to use the editorial we here. we're not surprised necessarily that Florida played close against Alabama. In fact, we thought they would. And I think for Georgia fans to to take and kind of appreciate that game is more than like just a coronation, like Georgia doesn't go down there to claim its inheritance of the SEC. you got to go wrestle it away from Dan Mullen in Florida, and they're going to put up a fight in in order to prevent that from happening. The fact that the game is kind of viewed that way now, for the most part, I, I see that as a pretty good thing. (laughs)
2: Thanks guys. I guess it's always that way. Uh, You know, sometimes I, I mute, so I don't have dogs barking. Um, But you know, for, for me, I guess it's always, shouldn't it always be that way? Like, yeah, that's what Georgia and Florida is. And you know, for, you know, just wait sometime if that Georgia Florida game is not special and it's not jam packed, somebody's going to start getting up on a soapbox and he's going to start claiming that the Georgia Florida game needs to be a home and home series. I I can hear it coming. If that game is not special, if that game is not the place where all those dog people spend their time in St. Simons and St. Mary's, um, you know, This is a different Florida team. You know they've they've improved and they've changed their they've changed their the way they're going to win football games. It's with run game. It's with their defensive front that continues to get better. They've got a first round cornerback in Kyir Alam that Georgia surely wanted to get a couple years ago. They're never going to be Florida to me. And I think this is um, I think back to a press conference I was at when I was a student at Georgia um, when uh, Dim Donnan was talking about Florida's team and he was talking about. how dangerous they are on the outside. Like when you know you're playing Florida, you look at receivers out wide. And he said Spurrier would – he made a joke that Spurrier would, would would want to send SEC teams postcards that say, press me, because we'll take you deep and we'll beat you deep. And, you know, the recruiting trail shows us that Florida's about to get some of those receivers back. But right now the way they're built is, is a lot like maybe some of more, more of like Dan Mullins' teams that were at Mississippi State than what we're, we're used to seeing at Florida – Um, and they're going to, they're going to have that moral victory championship trophy there, which is something very impressive. I think uh, Gainesville's, uh, economy must, economy must have rose like maybe five points, uh, because of everybody so happy buying Gator gear after that close loss. Um, I just don't think they're Georgia yet. And I think Georgia will be ready for that. And I think Kirby will not need to have a speech to get ready to return the balance of power in that rivalry. Uh, on the banks of the St. John's. That's why I kind of look at these other games. I, I think a lot of the fan base, they're seeing Georgia's passing game, never seen it like this before. Tight end, never seen it like this before. Pass rush, never seen it like this before. And they're, they're wondering, all these, all these remnants of old Georgia or even the best of Kirby Smart's Georgia at this point, they're all kind of being, you know, kind of stripped away kind of being varnished away. I think everybody's looking to see, is this team so good that they don't have one of those lackluster performances? I think you've referenced them a lot of times, you know, throughout the years, whether it's a McNeese State during the lean years or whether it's um, the South Carolina game, the last noon kickoff you referenced right there. There's always one one game where Georgia's like, huh? And, and I think that's the thing the month of October will show me. If Georgia can continue to hold serve and continue to kind of have that that swagger, where they kind of feel like there's
0: really no chinks in the armor right now, I think that's the biggest thing October will show us. Well, let's move on here on Cover Four Live. Jeff Centel, Connor Riley. My name's Brandon Adams. Happy to have Mike Griffith with us as well. And one of the things we're talking about off the air yesterday a little bit was the emergence of Brock Bowers. And Bowers' name came up on the show a little earlier. Right now, I think through three, three games, he's probably been Georgia's most dependable pass-catching target. It's a pretty remarkable thing. Now, it's not a guarantee to continues that way through the rest of the season but it's been true I'd say through the first three games and that's pretty remarkable thing for a guy that's just now beginning his college career I would say that puts him in the conversation to potentially be the best true freshman that Kirby Smart has had and that kind of leads to a conversation of you know where he would rank on a list like that and kind of you know you know how likely it is that Bowers could climb to the top of before it's all said and done Jeff, you've known a lot of these true freshmen because you also cover them as recruits. So as a way of starting this conversation, who do you think the best true freshman under smart to this point has been?
2: Yeah, this is a good point. And I'm going to leave a lot of, uh, leave a lot of, uh, I guess I'm going to leave a lot um, out there for the other guys to, to kind of pay attention to and to choose their answers. But to me, I think the answer kind of begins and begins and ends for me with Andrew Thomas. You had a freshman, all American, you had a, You know, a guy that came in with a lot of hype and he exceeded that hype. There were three really strong, true freshmen for Georgia on that 2017 team. I think Georgia's roster has reached the point where they don't need contributions from three freshmen to that level. Uh, three true freshmen at that level in order to reach the final ball game of the season. I think Georgia is just a much deeper and a much more mature program. But you look at you look at what Andrew Thomas did, a first year starter in the SEC, started every game. I I, want to just say one thing. I don't know this will ever be duplicated, maybe ever in Georgia football, where you have a true freshman come in. And you have him start in 15 games, including the SEC championship game, including a national semifinal and including the national championship game. That's one part of the Andrew Thomas legend that I think, you know, if Brock Bowers is going to go to those heights, got a long way to go. He certainly looks like an all SEC tight end right now. But um, I think Andrew Thomas set the bar really
0: high for freshman uh, phenoms in the Kirby Smart era. I agree. I think Thomas is number one on the list at this point. I have a tendency to group offensive line, play together, judge them as a unit, not so much as individual players. Year over year, Georgia's offensive line from 2016 to 2017, massive improvement. I give Thomas, who started that year at right tackle, would obviously eventually become Georgia's left tackle. I I give Thomas a lot of credit for that. So there's some names that you could mention, but I agree with Jeff that Thomas probably deserves the top nod there. Mike, you have a name for this list before we kind of talk about where Bowers could eventually fit on it?
3: Sure, I'll, I'll put myself out there for the target practice. Uh, you know, Jake Fromm, um, you look at Trevor Lawrence was only the second ever true freshman quarterback uh, to start and finish a national championship game. Um, you know, the year before, I guess we saw Tua come in at the end. But, you know, I can't think of many freshman quarterbacks. I mean, even Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing that early in the season. I mean, Jake was in there basically – uh, you know, what, after the end of the first game, you saw Eason go down, you know, Trevor had the opportunity to wait a few games and and kind of ease his way in when he took the job over for Kelly Bryant. But, you know, Jake was kind of pressed into action. There wasn't really anybody behind him. And yeah, he had a, a tremendous supporting cast. Uh, but if not for a blown coverage, Jake Fromm is a national champion, is a true freshman. I don't know how you ignore that. Um, you know, the guy had 24 touchdown passes, six or seven interceptions. I mean, uh, look, nothing flashy, but, again, just in the historical context of true freshmen that have led a team to a national championship game or even the brink of it. I mean, I'm trying to think in the SEC if there's ever been one uh, that's been the guy that long, you know, the whole season, right? So I I think we have before. Pardon? Jalen Hurts. Jalen
1: Hurts did it in 2016.
3: 2016. Okay, so Trevor Lawrence was the second guy ever to do it. So we're talking about maybe Jake Fromm being the second guy in SEC history to be able to lead a team start to finish to a national championship. You know, that that's pretty remarkable. That puts him in pretty rare air even with the great supporting cast. I think I think Fromm did a nice job that year. Certainly Andrew Thomas and Jake, both of those guys were on the freshman All-American team. I picked that team. Every year for the Football Writers Association of America, Rodrigo Blankenship was also a freshman All-American for Georgia. Uh, Warren McClendon, more recently, freshman All-American for Georgia. So those are some of the guys that have earned the honor. But Jake Fromm was the freshman All-American quarterback in 2017. Andrew Thomas was on that team, and uh, and I believe Blankenship was too. So I think those are all great names. You know, Connor, my thought
0: on Fromm is, is that In the Rose Bowl, when obviously Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle played like superstars that day, amazing highlights, stats, everything else, I do think that obscures the fact that I thought that Fromm played really well against Baker Mayfield, Mm -hmm. especially in the second half when obviously Georgia mounted a pretty big comeback. Fromm was asked to make some pretty big throws in that Rose Bowl, and he made them. Now, the day belongs to Chubb and Michelle on the offensive side, and I won't say that it doesn't. But I I do think Fromm should get a lot of credit for the way that he played in that game, he was not just along for the ride, and uh, I think that's important to note. That he had to make some throws to give Georgia a chance to win that game, and he made them. Who's your top true freshman at this point, though?
1: Yeah, I, I think Jake Fromm and Andrew Thomas are both good answers. I'd say no freshman has had a greater impact or been asked to do more for this Georgia team than George Pickens was in 2019. You think about where this passing offense was at that point in time it was not very good, and then it got even worse once Lawrence Cager went down with an injury there. And Pickens, it took him a little while to get going. I think Brock Bowers is probably ahead of where Pickens was at that point in 2019. But Brock also had the benefit of going through spring practice, whereas Andrew Thomas did not, and and, uh, George Pickens did not either. So uh, as the season came on, George Pickens really, really impressed there and obviously had the monster game there against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. But I I think it's interesting to sort of compare both Bowers and Pickens in terms of who might have – the bigger impact as a freshman in terms of what they would be asked to do within the confines of the Georgia offense.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still the high water mark. I'm looking at the numbers right here. The most yards receiving any player has had a uh, receiver anyway, under, under Kirby smart is what Pickens is a freshman in 2019, 727 yards, eight touchdowns. That's the most touchdowns, the most receiving yards for any receiver during the smart era. So, I, I still like Jeff's answer of Andrew Thomas, but I, I do think it'd be an inappropriate conversation not to include George Pickens in it because not only was he a great freshman for Georgia, he's really the best single season performer as a wide receiver that Kirby Smart has had. And you got to, you know, you go back a lot of previous years, you know, pre-Smart on that. You got to go back to like the Aaron Murray era to probably find, you know, a whole lot of receivers. They're playing, as well as Pickens did for Georgia that year. So, it's a worthy consideration because of how good he was, not just compared to other freshmen, but compared to other receivers in the program really for quite some time.
1: Well, Malcolm Mitchell did have over 800 yards receiving sure. in his last year with Fatone Bada and Grayson Lambert throwing him the football. I like sure. to think maybe with some better quarterback play that year he could have got over 1000 yards. But and moving into Bowers and I would say that I think I think Bowers is further along than where Jake, Andrew, and Pickens all were three games into their career, Now, obviously there's still a long way to go, and those guys all got, I think, much better over the course of the season there. But what do we think the, the sort of progression for Bowers looks like the rest of the year as this offense, they do get Darnell Washington back, which I think will eat into at least some of his snaps, maybe not his, his receptions or routes, but at least some snaps there. And then you have guys like Dominic Blaylock and potentially even Pickens coming back as weapons in, in this passing game.
0: I mean, I think that his ceiling is really, really high because the thing that I'll say about him is, is he's more athletic than I expected him to be. Not that I didn't think he was a good athlete, but he's more athletic than I thought he was. And it's, it's that athleticism that gives you a chance. You know, might use the phrase go-to guy a little earlier. Um, it's that athleticism that gives you a chance to be that go-to guy. You know, the phrase that coaches use that I can't stand is, we're just going to take what the defense gives you. If all you do is take what the defense gives you, then the only thing you're ever going to have is what the defense wants you to have, which is not much. You've got to be the kind of scheme. And I think this year, George has kind of been that where you take what the defense doesn't want you to have. And sometimes that means just getting really good athletes in a position where they can do something. And the Monk offense, in comparison with the skill set of Bowers, Jeff, I-, I think the potential is really high there. Could he have numbers by the end of this season? that are similar, uh, if not exceeding, what Pickens did in 2019, I think there's a very good chance they could.
2: I think it'll be interesting. I think somebody made the point the way that Georgia's offensive machine starts rolling, there'll be some Pickens, there'll be some development of Kiaras, there'll be some extra of Darnell Washington added to the mix. I I was talking to Oscar Delp about – and Pierce Sperling this week about Bowers. Uh, the for folks that don't really follow recruiting as hard as a lot of folks that um, show up on Wednesday nights before the hedges, but uh, th- those are two of Georgia's major tight end target recruits. Uh, Pierce Sperling the third is committed to Georgia. Uh, Oscar Delp is, is the only tight end that Georgia is recruiting in this 2022 cycle. The, it's funny how they they knew that they knew that um, they heard the promises that Georgia was going to feed the ball to the tight end more and the tight end would be lined up more. And they're they're seeing that. But Bowers is taking it to another step. If you'll watch, Bowers is becoming the first or second read in quarterback progressions very often. And that's because he can get quick and easy separation by the guys that are trying to defend him. Going to be a very difficult matchup going forward with Georgia when somebody has in their defensive back room and they try to figure out, okay, do we have a match for Bowers? Oh, yeah, we do. This really good, young, long guy that we'll have to coach up. And then you're like – Do we have a match for Washington in the same formation? And the answer will be no because no defensive secondary is going to have two guys that can kind of deal with those type of diversified multiple uh, formation skill set players. Um, I think the thing that Bowers it stands out is his athletic ability, his explosion. His his routes aren't amazing. What he is is he gets instant separation with his explosive ability. I remember hearing about him training because he didn't get a senior year of high school football. So all he was doing was he's in the gym. He was doing every possible lift he could for his explosive ability. And gosh, you know, you'd already heard those stories about he was a guy that in seven on seven season, he was a dominator. Nobody can deal with him. He'd end up with like, Twenty touchdowns in a game in a, in a you know a tournament a seven on seven tournament where his guys played like you know six or seven games in an entire Saturday. He's always been that guy that. Is very uh, in this pass-heavy world that he is a great fit for that. And then, as a Kirby Smart alluded to, he's six foot three, six foot four, two thirty-five, and runs of four-five. Um, it's a really special athlete that that Georgia has there with Brock Bowers. And I think the offense—I don't know if they'll be able to keep feeding him at this pace because I think right now, what is it? It's about what six, six or seven um, receptions per game. If you if you dial that up, that's going to be an 80-90 – 80, 90 reception season. So uh, I don't think that's possible. But I think Bowers is clearly in that 50-catch, 850-yard, 10-touchdown type of range. And I think that would get him a uh, freshman All-American and might get him some All-SCC votes as well.
0: What do you think about uh, Bowers so far,
3: Mike? Oh, well, yeah, he's been amazing, you know, and, and I give Jeff credit. He did a great job uh, covering Bowers, uh, telling us about Bowers with the Centels Intel. You can go back and read a lot of the stuff that Jeff wrote and uh, he was right on the mark. Uh, that's why we're so pleased that we have someone like Jeff covering recruiting for Dog Nation. It's kind of a cheat code for us to get the jump like that. And, and certainly he hasn't disappointed. Uh, you know, this is a guy that runs the legit 4540 that has the 40-inch vertical, that has the great hands, that has the aptitude, the, the unicorn, is Jeff, Jeff called him, of the class, and, uh, and a quarterback in JT Daniels that can really get the most out of these receivers. I mean, there's other teams with talented receivers, but how many teams have the sort of offense that Georgia does where, as Jeff said, JT can go to the line and and quickly find the matchup and and change the play and throw the receiver open and know who's running what route into what empty space. When we talk about, Brandon, taking what the defense gives, of course the defense doesn't want to give anything, but the give – is what the alignment is giving you and where the space is at in the alignment. And then we heard JT Daniels elaborate on that. Some fascinating philosophy when he talked about when you give me a one-on-one downfield with one of my perimeter players, to me that's giving me something because it's not a 50-50 ball to throw it deep when AD or when uh, Jermaine has a one-on-one situation deep. To JT, that's an 80-20. And that's them giving. So there is some taking going on in the JT Daniels mentality. And certainly, Brandon, in the Todd Munkin offensive scheme with those air raid principles, when he's able to find those spots and dial up those plays that can exploit them.
0: Can I just say one kind of like geeky nerdy thing for a moment? That SEC stat cat dude that a lot of people follow on Twitter, he had some stuff today about the teams in the SEC that are running the most pre-snap motion right now. I was very pleased to see, according to StatCat, and who knows if he's right or not, but he's got a following on Twitter, so he must be doing something. Georgia number one in the SEC right now when it comes to pre-snap motion, when it comes to you know things of that variety. It's what I've been calling for for Georgia for quite some time, and it seems like Munkin's the kind of offensive coordinator that really sets up those advantages before the ball is even snapped. I am very happy about that, and it seems like the Munkin offense to this point. Well- and that's the well. tell.
3: That's that's what helps JT Daniels identify the defense. Not only are you able to manipulate the defense and get the matchups that you want, but it's also a bit of a tell for JT so that now he can read the defense better, understand the matchups, and fly that jet from the line of scrimmage. All right. I want to do something a little bit different here for
0: our final topic. Um look at the playoff scenario for a moment and i want to do this very rapid fire and i mean really rapid fire now this doesn't have to be one word but let's try to keep it to one sentence if possible like i want to keep this pretty rapid fire i'm going to ask you a series of questions about the college football playoff connor i'll start with you based on what you've seen for three weeks is georgia a playoff game yes or no yes jeff yes Mike. yeah all right The three teams that were kind of in the same category as Georgia to start the season have gotten the most criticism through three weeks, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. If you had to take one of those three to still make the playoff, which of that trio is the most likely to make the playoff? Connor, back to you.
1: I will take Clemson because I'm going to bet on the infrastructure to figure it out.
0: Jeff? I'm going to take Oklahoma. I think if they ever make a quarterback switch to Caleb Williams, they'll be even better. That's the thing. Something is like there's a few things going on in college football right now where this you just get this vibe that things aren't quite right. It is just not quite right with Spencer Rattler right now, and I do get the sense of Caleb Williams, oh boy, him running Lincoln Riley's offense is not something that I get very excited about thinking about because that could be uh, pretty impressive. Mike, the question once again between the three playoff contenders who've received a lot of criticism. Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Which of those three is the most likely in your mind to still make the playoff?
3: Oklahoma. They're in the weakest league.
0: Yeah, I I do think when it comes Uh, to Big Ten. hmm, uh, I think hmm. right now the Big Ten East looks pretty good. Michigan's a 20-point favorite on Saturday against a Rutgers team that's actually not played that bad. Michigan State's looking pretty good right now. All of a sudden, the road for Ohio State's an issue just as much as their own defensive struggles are right now. But you can't say the Big is weaker than the ACC. I mean, the ACC yes,
1: I, the ACC is very weak.
0: What I meant to say the opposite. You, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't say the Big Twelve is weaker than the ACC. Uh, I mean, the, the Big Twelve is clearly stronger than the ACC is.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know about that. You know, I want to see more. I want to see what happens with Clemson and NC State. I want to see more from North Carolina when they're at their best. Virginia Tech had a nice game against them. Uh, it's a cyclical sport. Um, I just don't see anybody in the Big 12, right? I mean, Texas got hammered by Arkansas, which I think as much as we all, uh, like Sam Pittman, would probably agree is is probably only, what, maybe a 5-3 and three SEC team at the best. And they hammered Texas, who I expect to give Oklahoma – their biggest challenge right so i don't i just don't see anyone else this year at least in the big 12 that poses a serious threat iowa state losing to iowa early once again at home so i think that has more to do with how i feel about the cycle in the big 12 right now all right i got one more question but connor jump in here
0: before i ask it
1: tcu is going to give oklahoma a game tcu might even beat them
0: yeah our old friend zach evans is Done okay in he's Fort the Worth. Truth. And that man is he's the truth. Is 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 not bad. I think there are two interesting. I don't want to be a dork about this, but I think there's a couple of interesting games in the Big 12 this weekend. I think Texas Tech against Texas is actually a pretty interesting football game. And to a certain extent, I'm somewhat curious to see what West Virginia does against an Oklahoma team that has just not been right this year. They have. I, I don't know if Spencer Rattler's already counting his money or what. There's just something kind of weird about Oklahoma right now. And if if, if Rattler's not zeroed in Caleb Williams is there to make a name for himself I can promise you that all right here's the last question moment ago we all agreed that based on three weeks worth of action Georgia looks like a playoff team give me one more team that you believe will be in the playoff based on what you've seen for the first three weeks Connor who do you think
1: I am going to go with the Oregon Ducks I think they have a, a Obviously, the Pac-12 has not established itself well right now. You could even say maybe they're the weakest league out there, though. I think that Fresno State team is actually pretty talented and and pretty tough. Um, I think they have a a championship-caliber defense. They are physical along the lines of scrimmage. And I think they have a ceiling to get better at the quarterback position there. Anthony Brown is the starter, but he's a little banged up right now. I'm going to be interested to see what comes of Ty Thompson, a freshman there who's gotten a lot of early reviews. They have a strong running game with C.J. Verdell up there. I love the one they had at Ohio State. I don't feel super confident in it, but if if you had to give me one team because Penn State and Iowa I think are going to knock each other out, give me Oregon.
0: Yeah, it's to me the hardest it has been through three weeks to even name a playoff team other than what we might say with Georgia because of how Kirby Smart called it a weird year and it has been one. Jeff, give me a team other than Georgia that through three weeks you think is a college football playoff team going to be the most boring answer
2: ever, but I think Alabama's got two more clicks to their game. They're just going to get better and better. And this is a year where we see that there's warts all over the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC. That's certainly, uh, in any scenario, the way Alabama gets into the college football playoff, especially a year like that.
0: Yeah, I think Alabama is, like you said, it's a safe answer, but I, I think it's probably true there as well. A lot of overreaction this week to the close game against Florida. This is not dissimilar to what Alabama's done in the past. One thing I do disagree, though, is, I think, there's some, I, think, I think there's some Big Ten teams here through three weeks that have actually played pretty well. I, I think the Big Ten champion's going to be in the college football playoff. I'm just not quite so sure yet who it's going to be. Mike, give me a team other than Georgia that you've got in the college football playoff.
3: Yeah, I'll tell you. It, who I would have would be a one-loss Alabama. But unfortunately now, uh, this whole alliance thing has turned things upside down. And so I don't think you're going to see a non-conference team get that by – that Alabama got, right? I, I think this whole alliance thing, we've seen the news with the playoff and, and how the Big Ten and the ACC, uh, uh, they're all in the pack, so they're taking their ball and going home. They're, they're making us put the 12-team playoff off another year. And unfortunately, I think those sort of politics are gonna carry over into the college football playoff committee. So I'm with you in the sense that we will see four conference champions. And I'm also with you, Brandon, that it will be the Big Ten champion and right now I think that team is Penn state.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, William Gleaton brings us up just very quickly uh, Cincinnati. So Cincinnati kind of, you know, they get past Indiana last week. That was one of their big power five road games. They need Notre Dame to beat Wisconsin on Saturday to have any chances. They play the Irish here coming up. I still don't give Cincinnati a chance making the playoff. Mike, could you see a scenario where Cincinnati undefeated with wins against no longer a ranked Indiana, but you know, still kind of a high-profile Notre Dame team, that'd be a little bit different resume than we've seen. I actually think the best group of five team right now, maybe the team that Connor mentioned a moment ago, Fresno may actually be better than Cincinnati. But um, at the moment, Cincinnati has the resume opportunity here. I still don't think it'd be good enough to give them the playoff. Do you agree?
3: Well, let me say that Fresno may be good, but beating UCLA does not hang the moon for me. And I certainly have to give Cincinnati more credit than Fresno State. Uh, That said... Uh, You know, I don't think Cincinnati, as much as I'd like to see them beat Notre Dame this year, I don't think they will. You know, it was kind of a big stage moment against Indiana. And if we're going to be honest, uh, they were very fortunate. I watched a lot of that game and they were very fortunate that Indiana gave them second and third chances. That was a team that easily could have lost that game. Uh, you, you can't play with the Irish like that. I, I know that – and I'm not a big Irish buff. I was one of the people that said last year Notre Dame didn't deserve to go because they lost 34-10. to 10. I still believe that. I think last year's Cincinnati team would have beaten that Notre Dame team at the end of the year. But Notre Dame at the beginning of the year, this game this weekend against Wisconsin and Chicago, uh, certainly the opportunity to play the Bearcats with their former defensive coordinator – Notre Dame guys can handle the big moments. I'm not sure Cincinnati can. uh, But the question you asked was, is there a scenario? And the answer is yes. If they are able to go undefeated and um, some of these other teams were to stumble, you know, perhaps uh, Oregon uh, loses a a couple games in the Pac-12 and yet they win the league or maybe a one-loss Clemson uh, wins their league or maybe a a two-loss Penn State, I think there is an opportunity for Cincinnati to make the playoff, but I think it's probably uh, still a very low percentage. Even if they were undefeated, I would say the odds would be against them.
0: Let's go into our cover more here and take some questions and comments. Foster Moss says, we're going to beat Alabama, but in the wrong game. I'm presuming what he means is it's an SEC championship game win and then having to rematch them in the playoff, the national championship. Jeff, you just heard Mike a moment ago saying that he doesn't think there's an appetite for two SEC teams in the playoff right now. And all things being equal, I guess I kind of agree with that. I think the committee looks for a way to kind of balance the, the regionality of the sport out a little bit more, but sometimes there's not another great choice, another, another option. What is the likelihood in your mind that you could see Georgia and Alabama still play twice the season once in December and then possibly after that as well?
2: Yeah, Mike, Mike has a good point there, but I just, I'm of the belief that that you don't want to see two SEC teams in there. I think that's canceled out when you're talking about Alabama. I think Alabama Trump's all. Uh, I mean, they're the defending national champion. They're the standard. I think what have they been in nine out of the last eleven? Nine out of the last eleven uh playoff college football playoffs. They've been in the championship game like eight out of the last. They've won six six national titles. I mean, folks, this is the Ming Dynasty of college football. And everybody, if Alabama's good enough, and you're sitting there with a one loss Oregon team, and you're sitting there with a one loss Penn State team, and you're sitting, Alabama's going to get in folks. We've seen the way this movie ends over and over. They're going to be playing better and better as the season goes along. Look how, look, look, how retooled they are. I mean, if you took the resources that went to the NFL out of Alabama's program and did it at any other, any other team, they'd be thinking about Sam Pittman rebuilding right now, but that's Alabama. Um, that's, that, that, that's kind of the way I look at it. I mean, Alabama has earned the right where a very good Alabama team or one loss Alabama team, no matter how it shakes, Is gonna get the benefit of the doubt over almost
0: anybody in the country. Connor, Green Soldier brings up some of the injured guys, and obviously we've talked about them over and over again. When do you think we'll see the Taekis, the Darnells, the I guess you're gonna throw Dominic into that? You know, when is your best guess on when that you know influx of talent returns for Georgia?
1: Well, I wanted to to rebuke something that Jeff said there. Usually it's the Zhao or the Yan dynasty that is largely considered the greatest Chinese dynasty there. So just a little Chinese history there. Uh, I don't think we're going to see uh, Tyke Smith or Darnell Washington this week. I think because it's a road game, I do think that, you know, they might rest them, not want to have those guys on the travel roster and bring a younger guy that they know might be able to get to play in this game. Because as Mike pointed out earlier, this might be the last time for a while that they get to use this kind of a game. But I do expect both of those guys, uh, Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith, to come back for the Arkansas game. Dominic Blalock, I'm not quite sure on where he's at. With his hamstring injury, the same can be sort of said with Arian Smith, who did not play last week as he sort of deals with a a lower leg bruise as it been, as, as it has been described. I think you maybe see him travel, but how much he plays on offense, a la cares Jackson, early in the year, I'm not quite sure yet.
0: Mike, let me ask you this: We'll make this their last comment. James Crump says it's not the same Alabama team. I don't know what people are looking at. I think you can say that about Ohio State. They don't play very good defense right now, and you know, other than the running back, it seems like they got a lot of issues they haven't quite figured out. You can say the same that Oklahoma maybe Clemson there as well. But when it comes to saying this isn't the same Alabama team, I would say let's put a pin on that discussion and let's check back on this five weeks from now. Because my guess is five weeks from now, this has taken on the look of a pretty typical Alabama team. Best of the best or whatever, I think that still remains to be seen. A very, very tough team to beat come December and January. I, I just think Five weeks from now, that's what we're saying. When they get really humming in SEC play, I just feel like we've seen this movie too often before where they do sleepwalk at a certain point someone early in the year and then kind of shake it off after that. How confident are you that it happens again in 2021 based on what we're typically used to seeing from Alabama?
3: Yeah, I'll tell you that Florida game was either going to be a great wake-up call or an early indicator that it isn't the same Alabama. I think the jury's out, Brandon. Um, I think we're going to find out a lot against Old Miss in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think we're going to find out a lot against Texas A&M. And the other question about Alabama is quarterback. Bryce Young is not a big, durable guy. This is not a guy that wants to sustain many hits. Nobody does. JT Daniels has already been on the shelf. It's a long physical season, and everything I'm hearing out of Tuscaloosa is the backup quarterback situation isn't as rosy as it's been in past years. Now, I'm not here to predict the the end of any dynasty, be it uh, Chinese or Alabama. But I will say this, when you lose 10 draft picks and six of them are first rounders, those are some big shoes to fill. So time will tell on Alabama, but the jury for me is out right now, Brandon. I agree with your point. Five weeks from now, we're going to have our answer.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that the in the lack of quarterback depth at Alabama is affecting the way they're calling plays right now, and it may be even affecting the way that Bryce Young's actually going out there and playing. I think you may be right about that. The next starting quarterback from Alabama is not on the roster right now, nor is a capable starter other than Young on the roster all the way around. So I don't disagree with that point whatsoever. All right, good stuff all the way around. Big coverage. I'll be in Nashville on Saturday. Quick turnaround for me to get there. But looking forward to being there. Of course, Jeff Sintel is going to be with me tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily as well. Connor Riley, Mike Griffith, so much throughout the weekend. As the dogs get ready, as Connor said, there'll be a lot of eyeballs. This will be our first chance to see a 70-man travel roster for UGA. That was not in effect for the, you know, the the preseason, what do you want to call it, like neutral site type game against the non-conference foe? Georgia took 90 that day. So this will be their first chance to see that here coming up on Saturday. Kind of your hand is raised
1: yeah today's my dad's 65th birthday and I'd like to wish my dad a happy 65th birthday. He's out there watching right now so thank you Dad.
0: happy birthday indeed Mr. Riley and uh, happy we birthday tuning in hope you have a, a great birthday make your son buy you something nice. That's my advice to you <laughs>
2: yeah make <laughs> yeah. you buy something nice. Happy birthday he's got the, he's an expert on all Chinese civilization like cultural a Ming
0: vase How about a yeah. Ming vase? Jay Shape says, I'm repping the sissy blue. Obviously, reference dead are on in LSU. This, my friend, I'll have you know. Now, it's somewhat faded because I wear it in the pool all the time. So, uh, this would be <laughs> good, strong American blue, if not for the fact that it was completely doused in chlorine 8,000 times. But, nonetheless, go USA. Bring back the Ryder Cup. Uh, enjoy color Wisconsin. Beautiful, beautiful golf mecca. Paradise that it is. Uh, and everybody else, enjoy the college football here this weekend. Dogs in Nashville calm before the storm. Big October begins after that. Thank you very much, Michael Garfield, (laughs) uh, for showing that there on the screen. Uh, Everybody have a a good night. We'll see you back here again next time on Cover 4 Live.